You may be seated. And we'll be having communion together as the first Sunday of the month. And we just wait till we're all served together and then we'll partake together. chapter 26 as the Lord is on his way to Calvary he knows that he's going to give himself as a propitiation for our sins that he's going to reconcile us to God through his own sacrifice he decides that he's going to have Passover together with the disciples as he has foretold and in Matthew 26 26 he says and as they were eating Jesus took bread blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said take eat this is my body. And so as we partake together, he's left us this token that we can remember him by, this work that he has done on the cross through his own body for us, for the sins of the past, the present, and the future, knowing that it's only through faith alone in Christ alone that we can be reconciled to God. So as we partake together after we pray, we are to remember and to give thanks for the work that he's done for us personally, and then also for us as we remember as a church, and for the body of Christ around the whole world. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your mercy and grace on each and every one of us. We want to remember you and thank you as you asked and partake together in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's partake. In verse 27, he says, He took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remissions of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. As we take this cup together along with him, we're not only remembering that he gave his blood for us, that we could be saved, but we're also knowing that that work he completed on the cross means that we will one day partake of this cup in his presence with him face to face as individuals and that he's waiting for that day that he gets to touch your face as much as you are to him. And so we're going to remember the work that he has performed for us in earnest expectation of the work he is doing as we pray and then we'll all partake together. Lord, we thank you once again for who you are, that apart from you we can do nothing and yet 
because of your love for us, your love for the whole world, you gave yourself that we could have a way to the Father. We look forward to that day when we will be with you in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's partake. Lord, I thank you for this token. And it's so fitting, Lord, that it's something that we can intimately do privately between you and us, and yet also corporately as the entire body of Christ partaking of communion together across the whole world, showing us your grace and your love and your mercy for us. And so we thank you and we praise you for this in Jesus' name. All right, we only have one announcement today, and that is that after this service, there will be a baptism in the courtyard. Um, Zach and Reggie will be out there baptizing folks. If you want to have a baptism or a rededication, you can also have a rededication out there. That'll be directly after the service, or is it a little bit of time? Yeah, about 10 minutes-ish. Yeah, 10 minutes-ish. So about the amount of time it takes for us to get out of here, it'll be in the courtyard. We are in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 5 making our way through the gospel, following Jesus. And by way of introduction, I'm going to say something that is going to be seemingly shocking to some. Those that know me are just not going to be, they just know it directly, but religion really sucks. (laughs) Wrote rituals, laws, legalism, false righteousness, comparing yourself to other people, thinking you're better than you are in the eyes of God because of man-made standards, trying to buy your way or to feel your way, you know, people that think that they are closer to God because of those rituals and others that think they're separated from God and can't come to Him because of it. All that stuff just gets in the way. And yet here, Jesus in Matthew in His Gospel shows us that He's coming to us, that Religion doesn't get in the way. Nothing gets in the way of God coming. And that's what Jesus' name means, God with us, Emmanuel. He is revealing himself to us. He's bridging the gap between the finite, our world, and the infinite, the eternal, between our regular lives and then that which is eternal forever. And I realized in studying that he is not just the bridge. We, We are... Uh, not teaching him correctly and sharing him correctly if we're always referring to him as this bridge, this gap, this reconciler. He is those things, but he's more than those things, as we know from Colossians in the Gospel of John, that he is the Word. He is the express image of God. He is God's revelation to mankind. He is bringing us closer and closer to him, himself, reconciling a lost man to a holy creator God. And we're going to speak to that. Now, I say all those things knowing that as we're starting the Sermon of the Mount today, that it's just a guy on a mountain saying some stuff, just using his words. And we're going to talk about the beauty and the simplicity of that, but also how profound that is. Because the Lord is going to be speaking to the soul of each and every person across all humanity, the soul that he created. It's going to be deeper and more touching than we can think. And yet, it is so simple and, dare I say, normal. Let's read the Beatitudes. It's verses 1 through 11. We'll read them in their entirety, and then we'll come back and go verse by verse. But before we do that, let's pray before I get in trouble.
Lord, we thank you. We want to invite you into this room. We want you to be teaching us and directing us just the same way that you did then through your words because you are the word, Lord. We pray that we would leave here deeper in a deeper relationship with you, an intimate relationship that is not hindered or disturbed by man-made religion and ritual, Lord, but is bridged by you and the work that you have done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's read verses 1 through 11. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. It's interesting as we look at the Beatitudes as they're called in scriptures, that the religious people say incorrectly that you have to live this life to be saved. And if you do good deeds, you live this way, you give some money to the church, have your sacraments, then you may earn your way to heaven. That is completely contradictory to what the Bible says. But then on the other side, you have legalists that say that this is so profound, so impossible, this new manifesto from heaven that it must only be for the kingdom to come. It must be for the millennial kingdom. This can't be for life. I mean, nobody can do these things. And we realize that that is true. It is impossible to live this way all the time. But we have to connect what Jesus is saying on the Sermon of the Mount with what he's already been saying. We know that the multitudes are following him because in Matthew chapter 4, last week, it said that he's going through all the area. He's healing people. They're being healed. They're coming to hear his words. There are baptisms going on, rededications. People are seeking after God, and he's got a huge crowd. But he said in verse 17 that he began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I said earlier that Jesus is this connection. We know that he's more than the connection between heaven and earth, but he is bringing heavenly, eternal truths from God down to a regular audience, to regular people in a way that we can understand. And it is impossible. He has impossible standards. Jesus goes places that we can't go in ways that we can't go with Him. And so it's impossible for us to say that we're going to follow Him anywhere because we don't have the ability Jesus talks about this a lot. In fact, Matthew chapter 19, later in the gospel, a rich young ruler will come to him and will say, you know, I want to follow you. Excuse me. I was singing my voice out earlier. And how do I follow you? And Jesus says, sell all that you have and follow after me. He doesn't like that. He doesn't want to do that. He goes away sad. Another rich young guy comes to him. He says, I want to follow you. And Jesus, and he says, well, I want to bury my father first. And then once I get my household in order, then I'll follow you. And Jesus says, let the dead bury their dead. Come and follow me. Well, they won't. 
So the disciples, they're kind of perturbed by this. So they come to him in Matthew chapter 19, and they ask him, Lord, how, how is it to give you say? And Jesus says, for the rich, it's impossible. It's hard to enter the kingdom. It's like a camel trying to go through the eye of a needle. And so then, you know, the theologians that I'm making fun of all the time, they're like, well, you know, it's not really a needle. It's a small door in the wall of Jerusalem. Are you missing the whole point here? It's not possible. That's the whole point. It is impossible. We can't follow him. We can't go where he wants to go. He has to take us there. In fact, Jesus told them in Matthew 19, 26, as he looked on them and said, with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And that's the point. You see, as Jesus is teaching these words, we can't help but connect it to another time that the word of God was bought on a mountain. Centuries before on Mount Sinai, Moses goes up and he receives the Ten Commandments, those those sacred tablets. And what happens? Does the nation of Israel, do the multitudes come up with Moses? No, they can't. They can't even step foot on that mountain or they'll die. So Moses has to go up by himself. What does the people of Israel do? Worship and wait on God? Ah, no way. Their high priest goes and makes an idol, a calf, and they start worshiping the thing, saying that that's God. Moses is up there, and he can't even see God because no man can see God and live. In fact, when he's up there, he's begging God, can I see you? Can I see you? Can I see your face? And so the Lord says, go stand behind this rock. I'll pass by you. You can look at my backside. Well, no man can see God and live. So who is he looking at? I believe it's a theophany. It was Jesus himself in his glorified body. He walks there. Moses comes down. His face is shining. What's the point? Well, the law came from God. It's perfect. It's holy. It's just. But no man can come to God on their own terms. It's not possible. And man is constantly trying to add religion and ritual and circumstance and all this other outside stuff to try and get to God, but you can't. You can't. It's impossible. And so the impossible comes to us. Christ himself, born of a virgin, descended from the throne. And here he is on the top of a mountain using words, regular words. At the end of the day, this is a guy on the top of a hill just speaking. But because Jesus is going to make a way of salvation through the cross, because it's His righteousness and His perfection that we put on, all of the multitudes can gather together and hear from the Lord. This is what we all want. All spiritual seekers, all God's seekers, all want to hear the voice of the Lord. We just want to hear from God. What do I do? Who am I? Why am I here? That's what we want. And here's Jesus sitting there and just using words. But he teaches us impossible things because they're from the kingdom. I also want us to see in these 11 verses how simple these things are. They're statements. They're not long manifestos. They're not a big list of to-dos, all the stuff we have to do to get out of the way. They are simple proclamations. And yet they speak to every one of us. As we go through this verse by verse, I I want us to also think about every guru, Islamic Sufi, and imam, to every uh, teacher, you know, Confucius, and all these other philosophers from every century. They all do the same thing. They use their words, they expound on things, and they influence others. 
through a variety of different ways. And yet here is one man on a mountain, and many people want to try and make Jesus equal with all these others, that is far greater using smaller words, understandable words, that are going to radically change the direction of all of Western civilization to the present day. Now, that's a fact whether you believe he's the Messiah or not. And it's just words on a mountain. It's the content of what he says, and it is, more importantly, the person who is saying it. Let's start going through them together, shall we? Let's let's read verses 3 through 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So we have the audience, the poor in spirit, the mourners, and the meek. And yet the Lord is promising the kingdom of heaven to comfort and inheritance on earth. How how is these things possible? And I want to point out the context in which this is written. If you're sitting there on that mountain, and you're a follower, and you're just trying to see what's going on here, the culture you come from, whether you're Greek, Roman, Jewish, Assyrian, wherever you come from, This way of thinking does not exist. You see, in the first century in Rome, power makes right. Might makes right. My army is bigger than yours. You worship my God. You do things my way. Or I wipe out you and your family. That is the first century. Well, you say, well, that's just the Romans. Israel is the same way. They are seeking to overthrow the Romans. They're looking for a king to deliver them that they want to be in control of. They want power and might and ritual and religion. Aren't many seekers of truth. And they definitely do not believe that being poor in spirit or being a mourner or definitely being meek are any positive qualities. It's the exact opposite of everything they're being taught. And yet here's Jesus sitting there saying these things. And I also want us to see that while the other leaders of that day are trying to seek control, they're trying to seek power and authority and respect, Jesus is speaking to the soul, the soul that He created. When the Lord breathed into the dirt and Adam came forth, every person is imbued with the soul that God has given them. And He, as the Creator, is speaking to that soul when He says He knows that we are poor in spirit, that we are mourners, that we are meek. He's going to be speaking to every one of those aspects of of us. And so I said earlier, I talked about these different gurus and teachers and all this wisdom of man. And they can't do anything. They can't do anything. They try and show us and tell us how to do things. But Jesus goes where we cannot go. He does what we cannot do. He gives us righteousness. He brings us peace with God. He does the work that none of us can earn. And as Christians, disciples, because remember, that's who Jesus is speaking to here, His disciples. Disciples means disciplined one. It means follower of Jesus. Here they are on a mountain where all the multitudes are able to gather and hear the voice of God. Hear the words of truth because Jesus is truth. And He's going to prove it. 
And as God seekers, that's what we want. And we have that access through Him. Other people want to add religion. They want to say, who's, who's at rank and what power do you have and what authority do you have and how close are you? Did you earn this position? Okay, then now you can go up farther. Oh, did you pay enough? Okay, now you can come to this spot. Jesus is speaking these truths to every single person who's willing to listen. And so I say that about us as Christ followers. This is what every human being on the planet needs to hear, the words of Jesus. Are we bringing these answers to those that are poor in spirit, to the mourners, to the meek? Are we bringing these words to the world? Because that's what Isaiah the prophet says in Isaiah 61.1. He says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prisons to those who are bound. Unfortunately, as Christians or as churchians, we're taught to fill churches, invite people to go to your church. You tell people, come on, let's be honest, you tell people you go to a church to other people that go to a church, and what do they do? Hey, how's your relationship with Jesus? No, what do they do? Oh, you should come check out my church. That's their first thing out of their mouth. Like, okay, your organization, our organization, I don't care. We should be Jesus seeker, truth seekers, and we should share these deep truths with the world. I mentioned Islam earlier. If you watch debates between Muslim scholars and Christian scholars, because I'm a weirdo, I do that, one of their biggest defenses is the beauty of the Arabic language in which the Quran is spoken. That's one of the biggest defenses that it's the Word of God. Look how beautiful it is. And you read the Sermon on the Mount and you tell me that this is not one of the most beautiful pieces of words on paper you have ever read and share these truths that speak to the soul for the whole world to preach good tidings to the poor. There is not a person on the planet that is not poor at spirit at some time who does not mourn over a lost loved one who is not meek. I remind you that in the first century, these are radical teachings. Let's point out how much weirder I am. You could read Epicurean and Stoic philosophers from the first century, or you could just take my word for it. Because they have some really interesting uh, lessons that are for all, uh, all of life, you know, great wisdom. But this is not found in them. It's all about control and might and making yourself better and doing all these things on your own. And Jesus is teaching something completely different than anything else. And while he's doing that, with no money, no army, no politics, no position, no position of authority, he's literally a man on a mountain speaking words he is going to radically change the direction of the world. You say, prove it to me. From Christ's resurrection onward, as the church moves through, you're going to see monasteries and missionary work, orphanages and hospitals. You're going to see libraries. You're going to begin to see a culture that is wrestling with the fact that people are seeking after humility and peace, and to defend the weak. These are unheard of things in the first century. Again, it was might makes right. 
And I'm not saying that it was perfect. There definitely is a long history of that wrestling out even to the present day. But Christ's influence through these words is undeniable. And I say it is because His words are not empty. He is who He says He is. And it speaks to every human being. I mean, let's read verses 6 through 8. Let's keep going. It says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Who hasn't hungered and thirsted for righteousness? But notice, that's just a statement. He doesn't tell us what to do. He doesn't tell us how to do it. He he says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. What does that mean? And then finally, the most impossible of them all, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Well, the Bible tells us that we're deceitfully wicked, that we seek darkness rather than light. So how can we be pure in heart, and then how can we see God? This is incredible. The answer is in the person who is speaking. Now, I keep trying to do this balancing game where I'm trying to show the, inter- the eternal and the magnificent that the King of Kings has descended from heaven, that God in the flesh is sitting there teaching the Word of God. But I'm also trying to balance the fact that this is just a guy on a hill saying some words. You see what I'm trying to do to show the simplicity and the magnitude of what's happening here? Because Jesus is the answer. The one who is speaking these things is the only way that you can do it because it's impossible. That's why Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that he may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. I abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gathered gathered them and threw them in the fire, and they were burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. And remember, that's the audience who he's speaking to on the Sermon of the Mount. He's, the multitudes are there, but he's speaking directly to the disciples. In fact, Luke is much clearer. In Luke it says, he looked the disciples in the eye and said. That's how he begins the Sermon of the Mount. And so as he's speaking to the disciples, he's telling them these doctrines. He's telling them these truths, but he is the way. In John 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And so we can have peace with God. And because we are pure in heart through Jesus, we can see God. We, I told you Moses couldn't see God and live. But we can ascend the mountain as multitudes and sit down with the Lord and hear directly from God Himself because Jesus is the way. Remember last week we said that He so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. 
not to judge the world, but to save it. And here he is teaching these things, and he's speaking to you and to me. Are you meek? Are you hurting? Are you hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Do you need more for your soul? Are you trying to find peace with God? Are you trying to find your purpose for life? Are you trying to understand why God created you? The answer is in the Lord because Jesus is the express image of the Father. And He gave Himself for you that you can be reconciled to Him, that you can abide in Him like the vine that we just spoke of. I don't know if you know this or not, but as a bush or a tree, how do those branches come off? Jesus said that the Father would come and prune them. See, the branch doesn't eject off of the tree on its own. Many times we leave the Lord. In Jude's epistle, it says, keep yourselves in the love of God. We are the ones that separate from Him. He doesn't leave us. We are the ones that go in different directions. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. We have access to God by faith alone and Christ alone because of His love for us, because He is the truth. And so we have peace with God. We have it. We simply don't walk in it. We don't abide in it. It's by seeking Christ. Some of us are trying to walk up Mount Sinai. We're trying to earn our way up. We're trying to be religious enough to have a relationship with God. Whereas the multitudes were just like, hey, you healed my daughter, my son. I want more of that. Can I follow you? Sure, come on up. I got something to say. Listen to this. That's how easy it is. I also want to go back to that mountain. And as Jesus is saying to them, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You guys catch it? They're looking at God. Jesus is God in the flesh. As Jesus is speaking these words, He is the answer that He seeks, and He gives the pure heart. He even gives us the thirst for righteousness. He is the answer that He is projecting these statements to. And so He's literally fulfilling it right in front of their eyes. I am curious, if I were there, would I know? What, would, what was it like? Was he so captivating of a speaker that you knew that this was incredible? Or was it just like many of the conversations we've had over our lives? When I look back in my life, some of the most important conversations I've ever had, I didn't even know they were important until decades later. Man, I wish I had listened to blank. My gosh, that was such great advice from my grandpa. My dad, my coworker, my coach, my spouse. And so we really don't know, but me personally, I think it was kind of like that. Either way, it was so memorable that they were writing it and teaching it and repeating it ever after. And so he continues now in verses 9 through 11. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who, persecute, who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Verse 12, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
when I'm reading this, I start to apply it to different situations. Many of us, at times, we feel like God doesn't love us because we are meek, we're <laughs> seeking after righteousness. We feel like we're, we're mourning and we've lost a loved one. In fact, I'll give you a specific incident, you know, but I think it's about almost 10 years ago now that ISIS abducted these Coptic Christians in Egypt and took them on a beach and they filmed it. And they beheaded every single one of them because they wouldn't recant the name of Jesus and convert to Islam. And they used it for propaganda. And I think of their families. I think of their moms. You know, you raise a child your whole life. All your hopes and dreams are in that child. And to have it like this, Lord, do you hate us? Why did you allow this to happen? You didn't deliver us. You could have used your miracles. You could have gotten in the way. He loved you. He, he said he would do these things. He never recanted what you said. Why, God, why? And I want you to think for a minute that when Jesus is sharing these Beatitudes, when he's sharing these verses, as he's looking at his apostles and disciples, he knows that many of them are going to go to their deaths for these truths to represent him. Because earlier I mentioned how he is that connection between the eternal and the finite, between our lives and our suffering. It reminds me of Ecclesiastes. Now, some of you Bible students are like, how in the world are you going to connect Ecclesiastes to Matthew chapter 5? Watch me. You see, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, Solomon, he's the richest man, the wisest man who's ever lived. He's starting to think about life and its emptiness. He's starting to think about going through life. And this is what he writes in Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 through 8. It says, To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck what is planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to gain and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear, a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. We have these lives that God has given us. They're gifts. We don't know how long they are. We're all going to experience different things at different times. But notice how Jesus in his parallels in the Beatitudes is speaking to environments and emotions and places that we're all in, have always been in, and he's showing us that through him we have access to reconciliation and peace with God our Creator. And so for those men who gave their lives on that beach by simply trusting in Jesus, we know that the Scripture says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And their families were left mourning and heartache and seeking out righteousness and, and emptiness. But even that was for a moment because they too will one day close their eyes for the last time. And then through Jesus Christ, they will inherit the kingdom. They will see God. All these things that Jesus is saying we have through him. And so he comforts us and he speaks to us and he works in us. 
He ministers to our soul in a way that no psychologist, no therapist, no doctor, no mentor, no guru can ever speak to us because he speaks to the soul that only he created. And he heals it and he makes it new and he reconciles it back to God. And we have this message as Christ followers. We have to stop preaching religion to the world. The world only sees us as hate-filled bigots that are against everyone. That's how they see us. It's on purpose, y'all. Relax. We need to go into the world and preach the message of Jesus Christ to the multitudes, good tidings to the poor, the hurting, the lost, the cast-offs. And we preach it to ourselves first. And then we can think of the words that are written in Psalm 46 when it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, And though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, Selah. Jesus is just a man on a mountain sharing these words. But as we study them and we look at them, they're so simple. And yet they are deeper than the deepest depths, higher than the highest highs, because he connects the finite to the infinite, our precious lives to our eternal glory. He is the bridge, but He is also the creator of those things. And He is speaking through time to every soul that He has ever created. And I want you to notice in the Sermon of the Mount, He doesn't talk about religion or politics or culture. He doesn't talk about wars or armies or money. He is simply elevated above it. His truths are just higher because He's preaching the kingdom of God, something that we all have access to through Him. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that as we study Your sermon, Your words, Lord, that were spoken, that they would speak to our souls, that You would speak to that deeper part of us, that You would heal us and move us and give us a peace that surpasses all understanding, and that we would be able to share it with a hurting world the same way that You did, Lord. We thank you for your words, for your words are life. We thank you for teaching the impossible, because through you, we will accomplish the impossible. I pray that each person here would be a Christian first, a follower of you, Lord, above all else. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you need prayer, we'll be up here to pray with you. As I was saying earlier, there'll be a baptism out in the courtyard, about 10, 15 minutes-ish. God bless you, and have a wonderful week.